It looked great. We're getting back into the school year. Everybody uh, getting back into life again after a, a great summer. I'm glad you're with us today. If you're a guest today, it's great to have you in our time together. We're going to be studying uh, from God's Word here in just a few moments. Let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered how Christianity as we know it today came into existence? Have you ever wondered how the church began, how it uh, moved to where it is today and what we call uh, our home church and our community? Well, today we're going to begin a study that will hopefully will answer some of those questions. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts, the book of Acts. This is the fifth book in the New Testament, and um, it, it's a great book. In fact, the real title of this is called The Acts of the Apostles, The Acts of the Apostles. So really, it's a book of action, a lot of action books. You know, we just finished the study of the book of First Peter. There's a lot of teaching, a lot of uh, encouragement there about struggling in life. But we're going to be moving to a study of a lot of action, a lot of people doing a lot of things who had been around Jesus, who after being with him, their lives were totally transformed, and they take up his mission when he goes back up into heaven. Acts is an interesting book. It has some fascinating stories in it. We're going to learn about the Holy Spirit in our study and his power movement. We're going to be uh, talking about some uh, um, imprisonments, some narrow escapes, some miraculous things, uh, amazing things happen in the book uh, of Acts, and there's some fascinating stories, but we're not going to study it just for information or adventure or, or just to kind of learn some things. We are going to study it uh, not as a scholar, but we're going to study it like a soldier would. You know, a scholar studies something to find out what happened, and they want to know all this information, and they kind of uh, uh, turn that around and comment on that, commentaries and such. But we're not going to read it like scholars because most of us are not scholars, right? Most of us are just curious, want to know about more about Jesus. We're going to read it like soldiers would. Soldiers want to see it and discover not what has happened, but what is left to be done what the mission is. We want to know what God's calling us to do and how we can get on that and be a part of the mission. It's good to know what God's done in the past. It's good to know what happened, how we got here, how God works. But we also need to know how we can get on board ourselves and how we can be a part of that to accomplish his purposes. God wants us to adopt his mission that he began and then he left with his disciples that we read about in the Bible. But that continues on today. The mission has not been completed. So let's jump into the book of Acts. So if you've got your Bibles or you can grab on the screen, watch on screen, um, let's jump in. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So let's take a moment and just look at the person who's writing this. So we have, an, we have an author here and kind of a narrator. And what we're going to see through the book of Acts is that he's kind of narrating what happens in all these events in the life of Peter and, uh, and John and later on Paul and all these uh, apostles and workers and servers in the kingdom. Somebody tells us what's happening. So it's a lot of, uh, a lot of narration here. And the, he's, we're going to walk through this book, book with the guy who wrote it. His name is Luke. And Luke was a doctor uh, in that day. And if his name is familiar, he is also the author or the writer of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke wrote Luke, obviously, and he wrote the book of Acts as well. And he's a fascinating guy. One of the things that makes him fascinating is that Luke <clears throat> was not really a Jew. Most people think he was a Gentile. 
And he also was not an actual witness of Jesus when he was here upon the earth. He didn't see Jesus in, in real life. He didn't see his, his, uh, his death. He didn't witness the resurrection of Jesus. He came along later as a believer in Christ, and he was, like I said, a doctor, a physician, and he was a close friend to the Apostle Paul. In fact, a lot of people think that he may have been his personal physician. Now, why would Paul need a physician? Well, if you know much about him, Paul, first of all, was kind of sickly. He had some health issues that he needed somebody to take care of, but Paul also had a tendency to get himself in trouble and get beat up a lot. Every now and then he got stoned or he'd get beaten with rods or something, and so it was nice to have a doctor alongside of him uh, when, when the cause of Christ allowed him to be or caused him to be persecuted. So along the way, as we read the book of Acts, we read a lot about what happened, and someone's recording all of this. Luke was a native of Antioch, a city called Antioch where an early church began, a strong church, probably was led to the Lord through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, who went there to start a church. And, and Luke was not only a doctor, but people that day who were educated in his way would also be like historians. And even though he didn't know Jesus personally, he knew him through the eyes of many eyewitnesses, interviewed them. And then he talks about what they saw and, and what Jesus was like. So Luke was educated well beyond most people of that day, being a professional, a doctor, and his writings reveal that. They're very detailed, uh, organized, it's easy, easy to follow, and it's a really good book, an easy book to read. So Acts is the sequel, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke. Acts picks up where Luke leaves off. And so he mentions in this very few uh, first verses, he mentions the former book, the Gospel of Luke, which is the life of Jesus. And then he talks about what happened after Jesus went back into heaven. Now, both of these books were written to someone named Theophilus. Theophilus, which is a, an odd name, not familiar to us. Nobody knows exactly who that is. Some people say that Theophilus may have been one of Luke's disciples, or may have been a good friend, or possibly uh, it could be symbolic, because the word Theophilus means God lover. So if you love God and you're reading the book, the book was written to you and I, which is kind of neat. It kind of makes it personal to us. So it's actually addressed to anyone who loves God, who is seeking to know God's will. Now, the book is kind of long uh, for a New Testament book. In fact, it's like 28 chapters long. In that day, they didn't write on page after page like we do. They wrote on a long scroll, and they would unroll it uh, as they read, <coughs> as they read, and so um, the length, the average length of a scroll that someone could actually handle and carry at one time was about 35 feet. And so several of the books in the Bible are about that long, not much longer than that, because no one could handle that much paper at one time. So that kind of gives you the length of how long that it is. We're going to talk in this study uh, that will go through several weeks about the first 11 chapters uh, of the book of Acts. So Luke tells us here, that his first or former book actually dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, what Jesus did and taught. And this is what's called the words and the works of Jesus. And we don't think about that, but Jesus not only said a lot of things, but he did a lot of things as well. And the Gospels record, Luke records a lot of things that Jesus taught, but also a lot of the things that Jesus did. And we have to put the words and the works of Jesus together. We can't separate them when we look at the life of Jesus. Now, when you think about it, nobody's going to criticize, nobody's going to be critical of what Jesus did. Uh, when you read the, the life of Jesus and you hear about everything that Jesus did, that he fed hungry people, he gave sight back to the blind, he raised the dead, he loved on children, you can't 
can't argue with any of that. Nobody complains about the works of Jesus. But people take offense at the words of Jesus. That's really what got him in, pro- in, in the trouble. Not only what he said, but what, who he claimed to be. And basically, Jesus was put to death because not what he did, but for the things that he said. Specifically, he was killed because he said he was the son of God. But you know, Jesus' words were backed up by his works. His miracles and all of his, ultimately his resurrection, proved what he said or who he said he he was. So his words and works go together. So Luke said, that's what I wrote in the previous letter. And now I'm going to tell you what happened after that, the rest of the story. Now, you also notice if you look at the two books, there's a little bit of overlap from the Gospel of Luke to the book of Acts. The Gospel of Luke ends with a real brief account of Jesus calling his disciples together and uh, commissioning them and then going up into heaven. So it's like a condensed account of what happened. You can read that in the last book, the uh, last chapter of Luke. And, um, and then he goes into Acts and he expands on that a lot. So that's what this first chapter really is. Uh, he explains <clears throat> that Jesus was on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection and that he spent his time in those 40 days doing two things. Just read a few moments ago. First of all, he was instructing his disciples through the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of interesting that Jesus, in his time after his resurrection, before he went into heaven, that Jesus took time to instruct his disciples, not just as he had in the past, just one-on-one, but this time through the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had told his disciples that the Spirit was going to come and be with them. If we look in the Old Testament, there are oftentimes that we see accounts of the Holy Spirit of God moving and acting. We see also the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus, specifically when he was baptized, also when he was transfigured. The Father would be present. Jesus would be there. The Holy Spirit would show his presence and power. But now Jesus had said when he goes away, the Spirit was going to come. So there was going to be a transfer happening um, as Jesus prepared to go back up to heaven. Going forward, they would not look to Jesus, their friend, their physical, his presence there, but they would begin to look to and need and depend on the Holy Spirit for help and for guidance. And so there was kind of a transfer. So Jesus began to encourage the disciples and move them toward not himself as much, but toward the Holy Spirit who would be with them uh, in, his, in his presence going forward. So he instructed them in the Holy Spirit. The second thing that Jesus did is that he proved his resurrection. Notice in verse 3 it says, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So Jesus, in those 40 days, it doesn't seem like he was with them constantly, but in many occasions he came, showed himself that he was alive. He let them touch his body, put his, their, their hands and the scar, uh, scars on his hands and his feet and his side. So he showed them that he was alive, physically alive. The apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15. He appeared to Cephas, that was Peter, and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. So in those 40 days, Jesus made several public appearances, sometime to one person, sometime a few, at one point over 500 people, and many of those people were still alive as Luke was writing this. So Jesus wanted to make sure that they knew he was alive. Obviously, this is kind of leading up 
to Jesus physically going back up into heaven, but he wanted his disciples to know that the resurrection was real, not only for their personal knowledge and confidence and faith, but also that they'd be able to communicate this with other people as well, because our faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they needed to be prepared to carry on the kingdom work that Jesus was about to put into their hands. He also wanted to give them some directions as to what they do next. You know, he had instilled his word in them, his truth, the the spirit. He had instilled uh, hope and confidence and faith and trust. But now it's time for them to step up. And so Luke writes in Acts chapter 1, picking up where we left off a few moments ago. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So before they began this mission, before they began to go out and to to tell the, the gospel of Jesus around the world, they needed to just wait. They needed to wait specifically for something. Uh, They had been preparing for years, but now it was time to really get geared up. But before they go, it's time to wait. See, God has promised several times through Jesus that he was going to give the believers a gift. And this would be the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to empower them, encourage them, equip them for ministry. If you go back a little bit before Jesus, John the Baptist had kind of begun the baptizing, baptizing. He was called the Baptist, obviously, because he baptized people with water. Uh, And Jesus' disciples had picked that up. They also had been baptizing as well for the repentance of sin. But now, something different was going to happen. God was going to send his Holy Spirit, who would replace Jesus, going back up into heaven, as their leader and as um, as their encourager. And the Holy Spirit would baptize them with power. You know, the whole idea of baptism, the word baptize is, means to immerse, means to dip something under. And so whenever we baptize, and by the way, we're going to get a chance to enjoy a baptism today, view that, uh, whenever someone is baptized, they are immersed under the water, underneath, and then come up out of the water. And so the disciples were going to be immersed in the Spirit. They were going to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and then all believers today can continue to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So today we follow the biblical pattern and we baptize by immersion for the forgiveness of sins and for the gift or the presence of the Holy Spirit in one's life. That's what the Bible says happens. Uh, As we get into the book of Acts, we'll see that more and more. But whenever we're baptized, not only our sins are forgiven, but also we receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit would give them power and will give us power today. You know, many years ago, a Swedish scientist discovered a powerful substance. In fact, it was at that point known as the most powerful substance in the world. And he was searching for a name for it. And he had a friend who was a Greek scholar. And he went and told him, he said, you're not going to believe how powerful this really is, this substance that I've discovered or developed. And his friend said, well, if it's that powerful, there is a word in the Greek uh, a word that is, is used for the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so they called that substance dynamite. And that's what the Holy Spirit, that's what symbolized the pow- most powerful thing in the world. So when the Holy Spirit comes, it is powerful, like dynamite, has this amazing power uh, to overcome and, and uh, create or destroy. So the kingdom of God was about to begin there, and the kingdom was not going to survive without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit... Um, came to empower the church, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a week or two. But they understand that the church began with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And the church today cannot survive without the Holy Spirit. You and I, in our spiritual lives, we can't survive without the Holy Spirit. We're just not that good. We're, we're human and frail, and so we need help. We need power. We need comfort. We need encouragement through the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was fully God, but he didn't use his divinity to override his humanity. Because he was human, he relied upon the Holy Spirit for power and strength. In fact, the only time that Jesus leaned into his divinity was for the benefit of other people. There were times when Jesus forgave people of their sins. There were times when Jesus healed other people. He raised them from the dead, but he never used his power selfishly for himself. And he used that power of the Holy Spirit to bless and, and help and encourage the lives of other people. But Jesus lived a perfect life through the power of the Holy Spirit as a human being. And today, we have that same power of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. So Jesus wanted disciples to understand the Holy Spirit's presence and power and work in their lives. So after 40 days of proving his resurrection and instilling the Holy Spirit into disciples, Jesus called them to go with him to a place called the Mount of Olives. And as you read through the gospel of, of, uh, Gospels of Jesus, story of Jesus, the Mount of Olives was a special place where Jesus oftentimes went with his disciples to pray and just spend time alone with God. And he called them to the Mount of Olives, and, and they knew that this was a big deal. There was just this feeling that this was going to be a significant time, and this really would be the last time that they would meet Jesus or see Jesus in a physical uh, resurrected body here upon the earth. And while they didn't know it at the moment, uh, it really would be the last time. But they sensed that some things were changing. Uh, they knew that Jesus had, had remained for a reason because he had told them they were, he was going back up into heaven. And they were curious. So when he could pull them together, uh, let's pick up verse 6. It says, Then they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. So they had been through a whirlwind over the last month or so with the, the arrest and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and then these appearances back and forth. And, and they still thought that the kingdom of heaven was going to be an earthly kingdom. And they said, Jesus, maybe this is the moment that he, he uh, uh, lays this out and we just kind of bring this whole kingdom into being here. Are you going to restore the kingdom? They remembered the Old Testament prophecies about the uh, spiritual and national rebirth of Israel and how it would be restored to a power again. And they thought, was this about to happen? It seems like the right time. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But Jesus says, it's not for you to know what God has in mind. Uh, he doesn't answer the, the question directly. He says, it's not for you to know. You don't need to know God's timeline. And you know what? Neither do we need to know God's timeline today as well. You know, I hear people all the time say, well, we've got to be near the end of time. It's, it, you know, the time is drawing near and that is true. I have no doubt about that. But we don't know what God's timeline is. If those disciples had known that it would take at least 2,000 years for God's plan to work out, they probably would have been discouraged, wouldn't they? You know, every, every day since Jesus went back into heaven, the church has anticipated his coming. Every generation has to believe it's going to be in our time. And we need to live with that expectation. We need to think it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be any time. We live with expectation. But Jesus said, it's not for us to know. In fact, earlier in Matthew 24, he had said, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So when God's plan works, it's going to be the day that God says, today's the day. 
The angels don't know. With all of our speculation, we don't know. People who study scholars don't know. Jesus said at that moment, even he didn't know what God's ultimate plan, when God's ultimate plan would fall into being. So timing is not important, but the mission is what's important. And though we pick up in verse 8 of Acts 1, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it wasn't important what was going to happen at the moment. That was, what was important was that they were assumed the mission, and they were to carry it forward. Understand that Jesus was leaving. They're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're, they have to go and become witnesses of Jesus and, uh, and, and make, let people know. I mean, these men... And there were women in the group. They were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I mean, they had seen all of this with their eyes. Now, we don't have that privilege today. Uh, we don't, none of us were alive back then to have seen Jesus in, in, his, in the flesh, uh, before his death, after his death. We don't have that, but we're witnesses of the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe today because we know the witnesses of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're told today that the mission continues on. The mission has not been completed. Now, what Jesus gives here in verse 8 and, and uh, I think verse 9, uh, this is one of three accounts of the Great Commission that are recorded in the Bible. The Probably the best known is in the book of Matthew, uh, the last few verses. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. If you ever wonder what the church was about, what our marching orders are, why we exist, this is it. Make disciples. Make disciples of our children, of our friends, our neighbors, anyone who will listen. That's why the church exists today, the marching orders of Jesus. But in the account that we find and read just a few moments in the book of Acts, it directs them specifically how to do that. First of all, to start in Jerusalem, which is the city where they currently were. This is where Jesus was put to death. This is where they were waiting in Jerusalem. They started there in Jerusalem. And then they take the gospel beyond that into Judea, which was the country that they were in. And then to Samaria, which would be the neighboring country. And then they were to take it to the ends of the earth. So it were to be like ripples going out away from Jerusalem, which was kind of the epicenter of um, of the churches beginning there. You know, when we read the book of Acts, we read actually an account of that happening. The first seven chapters of Acts tell about the gospel being preached in Jerusalem. The first seven chapters. <clears throat> chapters 8 through 12 tell about the gospel in Judea, in the countryside. And then the chapters 13 through 28 tell about the gospel being spread to the ends of the earth. And what's pretty cool is there is a church planning organization called Acts 29 that reminds us that the work is ongoing. The work is not completed. It wasn't done in that day. The work continues on, and that every one of us really are part of that, that work and that mission that God left. So basically, Jesus is saying here, hey, don't worry about the physical kingdom. Don't worry about you know, the, the being set back up in Jerusalem. Don't worry about what happens here on this earth. You focus on and think about the spiritual kingdom of God. You know, I think that's a great um, advice to us today. Because people who study the Bible, they'll talk about what's happening over in Israel, what's happening here, what's happening there, all those things. That's kind of what the disciples wanted to know. Are you going to set that up on this earth? And Jesus said, don't worry about all that. It's interesting. The signs are interesting. This morning I read an article about them finding all these precious jewels in Israel that were 
foretold in the book, I think, of Isaiah. That's fascinating to know what's going on over there. But we're not to be focused on what happens in Israel. We're to be focused on what happened in the, the spiritual kingdom of God. And he had taught them for about three years and mentored them uh, and, and, and established his kingdom. And now it was time for him to leave and go back into heaven. The work of redemption had already been accomplished by his death and, and his resurrection. And so the mission now was laid out. Tell everybody about it. And he was literally passing it to them. It's in your hands and our hands today, empowered by the Holy Spirit to move the mission forward. And he also reminds them that you're waiting, you wait, he said, because the coming of the Holy Spirit would be the next big event in the kingdom's growth. In verse 9, it goes on to say, after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. If you're looking at this in your Bible, it probably says the ascension of Jesus. He ascended. So one moment, Jesus is talking to them, and the next minute, he's saying goodbye and rising up into the air into a cloud. You know what? Can you imagine what it would be like to see that? You know, just, just Jesus kind of levitating, going up in the air. And, and you have to wonder, why did, why did they do it like that? I think it was important for Jesus to leave them in this way. You know, Jesus could have simply disappeared one day and just not shown back up. He could have vanished, you know, and like, I haven't seen Jesus in a few days, you know. And they would begin to look for him, perhaps, and wonder where he had gone and what he was doing and everything. I think Jesus wanted to know that, that he was gone for good this time. I think that he was gone. He seemingly had appeared and then maybe disappeared and reappeared during the 40 days after his resurrection, instructing them in the Holy Spirit, proving his resurrection, his, his, uh, his life. But now it was time for him to truly go away, to leave, going back to the Father as he had told him that he would, that would do, and they shouldn't expect to see him in the near future. Uh, they shouldn't be looking for him in the next day or so. And uh, Jesus said, it's, all the, it's okay, though, because you've got the comforter. You have the Holy Spirit. It's going to be all right. You're going to do fine without me. In fact, you're going to be better without me. That's what he told them, because the Spirit would not be limited by Jesus' physical body. He would be everywhere, and he is everywhere with you and I, the Holy Spirit, in our daily lives. So Jesus' ascension also helps us explain where Jesus is today. Jesus died and was resurrected. There is no tomb where Jesus' body is. He isn't there. He is alive and he's in heaven. And the fact that his physically resurrected body literally left and ascended as well as his spirit reminds us that Jesus remains both God and man today. And that one day we're going to see him return in that same physical body. We're going to see him come back. He's going to split the sky. He's going to return. And, uh, and we're going to see Jesus physically and not just spiritually. So Jesus disappeared, and they seem to be at a loss, like you and I would as well. I mean, they've been told this multiple times, but when it happens, they don't know what to do. Um, and they seem to be a little bit shocked. They're looking up in the air, the last sight they had of Jesus. Look at verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So Jesus just goes. He goes up into heaven, and the angels said, uh, hey, don't just stand around looking. Jesus is going to come back. Uh, Jesus had told them previously in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. And if I, 
if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So Jesus said, <coughs> I'm going to go and prepare a place. And we believe that's what Jesus is doing right now. He is preparing a place for us. And if you can imagine how beautiful our world we live in today can be, but imagine what heaven, this is all temporary, imagine what heaven will be like. It's just a peek, I think, into the reality of heaven where Jesus is currently preparing a place for each one of us, for those who are prepared hearts for him. And you know, whenever it la- he left, it must have been a kind of an awkward moment because you know, he, the, the, everybody had to recalibrate. Their focus had been on Jesus. Now it was time to realize Jesus was serious about going away. And they weren't going. They weren't going to be with him. And he wasn't going to be with them anymore. And the angel said, don't just stand around and waste time. He's gone. You saw him leave. Uh, he's going to come back in a similar way. But now it's time to get on mission because one day he's coming back. And he's going to hold you accountable for, for what you do and how you live in the time that he's gone. So it's, it's a comfort for us to know that Jesus is still alive and he is preparing, preparing a place as we prepare ourselves for him and his return. So the rest of the book of Acts really is the story of his disciples moving the mission forward. Now today, here we are 2,000 or so years later, and we have the same mission that, as the disciples did. It hasn't changed. The same thing that we read in the book of Acts that they did, that we're going to read about, is what we're called to do as well. And that mission is to share Jesus with everybody. The way we say it here at Journey Church is we want to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. Simple as that. There wasn't anything complex. These disciples, most of them were uneducated, uh, but they had a heart for Jesus. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same thing that you and I could have. You know, we have much, many more opportunities and resources than they ever had. But it's his mission that we're carrying on, not our mission, not our mission. He is in charge, and one day he's going to hold us accountable for doing it. Our mission is to make disciples or followers, and it's a mission <clears throat> for all nations. Continues to be Jerusalem, our Jerusalem, our area, Judea, the greater area around us, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So really the earth is the mission, the entire mission. There's no limit. And that's why anytime anybody goes, whether near or far, we can go on mission. Now, they didn't have any idea of the scope of the earth at that point. Their world was very, very small, mostly just in Jerusalem or or the Judea area. But they they knew where to start. Start where you are locally, move regionally, go nationally, and start and share it to the entire world. You know, our our mission doesn't begin in some country far away. It, it, It starts across the street from us or next to us when someone's working or maybe in our own home with someone who doesn't know Jesus. That's where our mission starts, where we are, and then we go from there. And we're still living out the book of Acts. We're still under the same commission, the same command that they were, and that commission is to go and to share Jesus with the world. And you know what? When you look at their lives, their commitment never weakened. As we get through the book of of Acts, we're going to see that they preached even though they were told not to. They preached even though uh, Jesus, even though they were imprisoned, even though they were put to death, some of them. Uh, They just kept doing it. They never, ever weakened in that. Every one of the disciples became missionaries. Every one of them was persecuted. All of them but one were martyred for their death, and they tried to kill him, but he died a natural death finally. But down through the years, the church 
has continued to carry the mission, and the church has had periods of growth and decline in certain areas. But overall, in the world, the church continues to grow, and the mission is the same. The mission is one that we're called to commit to. You know, I was thinking about this, and um, I, I like to observe what's around me and try to figure out um, how we ought to live and act. And there's a scripture that reminded me of something. In Luke chapter 13, uh, Jesus compares himself to a mother hen. I don't know if you ever read that scripture, but he said, like a mother hen, I'd like to gather uh, everyone together and, uh, and, and protect them. And so I was kind of thinking about that, and, and we have some chickens, and uh, uh, if you have chickens, it's, it's a chicken thing. I don't know how to describe it. Um, but we have some chickens, and, and one, one thing that happens every now and then uh, lately is that our chickens decided to try to, to hatch some eggs. And, um, you know, um, they are so committed to that. They will, a chicken will suddenly disappear, and we're like, where's the chicken? Maybe something got it. And then we go, no, we found the chicken. She's hiding somewhere, and she's got a few eggs she's trying to hatch. That chicken will set on those eggs for three weeks straight. I'm not sure if they ever get up at all for three weeks. We always try to put a little water and feed close to them, but, but they are so committed they will not eat, they will not get out, they will not socialize, they will do nothing for three weeks, 21 days or so, until they hatch those eggs. And then a mother hen, which is defenseless, basically, except maybe pecking a little bit, uh, they will protect their chickens. They will draw them up under their wings, and they will protect them there. And, and, uh, and I thought about that illustration that Jesus gave, and I thought, you know, what a commitment that a chicken has to create more chickens, and how sometimes we get so distracted in life when we're, you know, chickens aren't that important in the big picture of life, but, but lost people are, and how we need to have that same kind of commitment that would sacrifice food, self, water, protection, you know, everything, just caring for other people. That's commitment to a mission, whatever your mission may be, and people can get really committed to their own mission, but Jesus said, I need you to commit it to my mission, the mission of sharing Jesus. That's who we are as a church. That's who we need to be as individuals, where life is about sharing Jesus. That's the call the early church had. It's going to be exciting to get into this book and, and kind of read and the stories about the extent that they went to and the miracles that happened. And we're going to see how God moved in that day. But God's still moving today. He's still moving the lives of people. He's still calling people to himself. Let's pray about that, and then we're going to go into to a time of response. If you want someone to pray with you or you have a decision on your heart, uh, Tony will be up here. I'm going to go prepare for a baptism, but, uh, but we'd love to have you respond. If you want to talk about your next step, if you want to talk about how to join the mission, uh, we'd love to, get to, to have a conversation with that, about that as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your holy word. Uh, God, I, I love that analogy of Jesus drawing people to himself and, and providing protection. It just shows us about the compassion and the commitment of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that we might share that passion. God, that we might care about people who don't know Jesus, that we would, would draw them to you, Lord, and we would do that through the gifts that you've given us, through the, the church that you provided us, Lord, that, God, we would see your heart for the mission. And, Lord, as we look at the book of Acts and we see uh, what people endured to be obedient God, remind us of, uh, that the, the mission is still as real today as it was then and that your call is just as real and the danger is just as real, Lord, without, uh, for people who do not know Christ. So, Lord, I pray you'll be with us in this time of response. Father, draw our hearts to you. 
Father, we pray that you'll be glorified in everything we do and say. And I pray in Christ's name, amen.